0: Former President Donald Trump lost the 2020 election, but supporters and sycophants continue to claim the election was rigged. And as has become clearer in recent weeks, Trump and his loyalists tried to provide then Vice President Mike Pence with a basis to set aside the legal results of the election in an effort that was designed to try to keep Trump in the White House. Before President Joe Biden's win was formally certified, some GOP members in Arizona met and took steps to try to make sure this state was part of that effort. On December 14, 2020, 11 Republicans met at the Arizona Party headquarters. There, they signed a document falsely claiming they were the duly elected and qualified electors for the state of Arizona. But the truth of the matter was, they were anything but. By now, we know some of what happened. On January 6, 2021, far-right extremists and Trump loyalists stormed the U.S. Capitol. And as we've reported, many Arizonans, both public figures and private individuals, played a part in trying to overturn the election. Fast forward to January 2022. The House committee investigating the January 6th attack subpoenaed two Arizonans who signed that false document. And that's where we pick up our story. Adrian Fontes, meanwhile, has referred the fake electors matter to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Arizona. The Department of Justice is already looking at the matter broadly, but its activities are unclear. It's also unknown whether the scope of its investigation includes Arizona. Fontes, who's running for the Democratic nomination for Secretary of State this year, says he's acting in his duties as former Maricopa County reporter. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Each week, we break down the biggest stories in Arizona political news with reporters, experts, and special guests. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. Ron Hansen is out. Today, we're joined by Richard Duellis, a longtime reporter with the Arizona Republic who's been chasing this story. Welcome to The Gaggle. Thanks for having me. So let's go ahead and set the scene here. Arizona was one of seven states that submitted electors for Trump, even though Biden won those states. Who was involved in this Arizona effort and how did it come together?
1: We know who was involved. It was the 11 people who appeared on your 2020 general election ballot. Their names were in small letters next to Trump and Pence's big names, because as you vote for president, you're actually voting for these electors. So it was those 11 people who decided to just meet as they normally would have had Trump won and they met at Arizona Republican headquarters, Kelly Ward, the head of the party and one of the electors. Uh, along with her husband, Uh, but Kelly Ward sort of led the meeting and they really made no secret of it. Uh, What is unclear is how they got the idea that they could do this or that this might actually have a practical effect. The seven documents that these states submitted to the Senate all looked up the same They all had the same formatting and font. Uh, Two of the states had a slightly different wording that, that said, you know, we're not really the electors now, but maybe if the court cases go the right way, we might be. But the documents, especially the five, including Arizona's document, five of the documents had very similar wording. So no one yet is saying who gave them this idea, who gave them those words, and told them how to sign the documents.
0: And all of these electors were involved in various lawsuits to try to overturn the election results or prevent Biden from becoming president in the early days after the election,
1: right? They were. And Arizona's electors ended up being a little more active than some of the other states. Uh, But the Arizona slate of electors sued Governor Ducey, saying he was wrong to, to certify the election and taking away some of their rights as electors. The ozone electors joined Representative Louie Gomer of Texas in filing a lawsuit against Vice President Mike Pence. They were asking the federal court and then the Supreme Court to rule that Mike Pence had the power on his own to decide which slate of electors to count on January 6th when he oversaw the joint session of Congress. Now, why out of the seven states, Arizona's electors ended up joining that suit is really not clear. And it's key to note that we covered, I mean, at the Arizona Republic, we covered all this stuff. This stuff was in, you know, the, the, the fact that these electors filed this lawsuit was mentioned in stories. The fact they met on December 14th was like paragraph 15 of a story whose lead was that the Democratic electors met at a you know, at a private location, out of security concerns. Like all this stuff was there. But we didn't know that this was part of a larger scheme. It wasn't until uh, some of these memos were coming out, some of these legal theories that were uncovered. First, it was in the Bob Woodward book uh, and and Costa book, Peril, where the Eastman memo was discovered, where this was a plan. Let's have alternate sets of electors out there.
0: So we know that this memo, this legal theory was sort of hatched by John Eastman. Perhaps others were involved, but we don't quite know who the middlemen were that sought to implement it here in Arizona and elsewhere. Obviously, our focus is here in in Arizona. What was sort of the legal theory behind these folks gathering, signing a document and turning it over to National Archives?
1: The thought was that if they sent up two slates of electors, if they sent up a second slate of electors, it would present Vice President Mike Pence with an option, possibly a problem that he could solve to the benefit of Republicans, that sitting on the on the dais overseeing the joint session of Congress, the vice president in one reading of the Constitution and in most people's reading of the Constitution is just supposed to open the, the 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 envelopes and lead the count. There are some people who see because the phrase is written in the passive voice, and yes, we get really granular here, because it says the the vote shall be counted. Some legal scholars see some wiggle room there. Because it doesn't say exactly how the vote shall be counted, it says, well, maybe the vice president has the power to count them however he or she wants. And maybe... We can say that the statutes that have been passed that kind of dictate how the vice president is supposed to act are are trumped by the Constitution. The Constitution just says, open the votes and someone decides how they should be counted. So the thought was that if Mike Pence is, is up there in Arizona, alphabetically is going to be one of the first states, has two slates of electors in front of him, he could throw up his hands and say, I don't know which of these to count. So I'm going to count Neither one, or I don't know which of these to count, so you guys in Congress decide. Go to your houses, vote on which ones to count, and then come to me with the real slate. And maybe the math works out so that there's not enough for the candidates to get to 270. Or there's enough for Mike Pence to just say, of the states that I'm able to count, Donald Trump has the most votes, he's president again. That was their theory.
0: And we know that here in Arizona, Rusty Bowers, the Republican Speaker of the House, was asked multiple times by a lot of different people, including a lot of several, at least, legal scholars and lawmakers. He was asked to do a lot of things that essentially would lead to overturning the way Arizona voted. We also know he spoke with John Eastman. And Eastman floated this theory. He invoked the Hawaii case, which you can get into here in a little bit. Um, and he essentially made the case to Rusty Bowers and his team. Like, look, just give it a shot. Don't worry about it. Like, we'll pick it up from here. And Bowers shut him down, said he wasn't going to go ahead and pursue this. Yet Kelly Ward and these... Um, Republican activists, by and large, uh, went ahead with the plan. What might the potential legal implications be for the people who decided to go along with this, given the January 6th subpoenas on uh, not just Kelly Ward and Michael Ward, but also on these two activists who whose names sort of led the fake electoral document?
1: Right. There's a there's some. There's a lot of subpoena things going on. Uh, Nancy Cottle and Lorraine Pellegrino, who were chairman and secretary, signed their names that way to this document. In the seven states, everyone who signed as the chair or the secretary was given a subpoena to testify. The deadline for documents has come and gone. Uh, I don't know. I have not heard from the January 6th commission. They're not returning my calls. I don't know whether they turned over any documents to the January 6th commission. These two, There's also a a date for them to testify and it's unclear if they're going to or if they're going to fight it. So there is some jeopardy in not fulfilling a congressional subpoena. You could be held in contempt of court. The committee also sought from T-Mobile cell phone records including text messages from Kelly Ward and her husband, Michael. Uh, around this post-election time. They filed a lawsuit in district court to block that subpoena. The question of, is it a crime to submit a document that says something that is just not true to the U.S. Senate, we'd have to get some lawyers on to say whether that's actually fraud or not. I mean, you're, you're saying something isn't true, but from the receiving end, does it have to be something that the receiver can rationally act upon right like you vote for Mickey Mouse for president well you don't really want Mickey Mouse to be president even though it's it's a false reading of your wishes it's not exactly fraud I think the commission might have subpoenaed these 14 not only to get the documents but also to maybe to put some pressure on them maybe talk to us and maybe we'll give you some immunity from possibly any federal crimes you might face
0: One person familiar with how the Justice Department works and has worked in the past decades says, you know, just take a look at some of the lower level crimes that public officials are accused of and are indicted of. And it's filing false paperwork. It's submission of false documents to a federal entity. It's lying. And if you build this out, It could be a conspiracy. And I mean, I think that's sort of the biggest question, right? Like who was behind the conspiracy? Who made it happen? If it is indeed a conspiracy, who encouraged um, and helped implement this thing to happen? On the flip side of that, the state Republican Party does seem to just sort of be doubling down in the notion that this is a, a partisan witch hunt that they're asking for private information. I think Michael Ward has asserted that private medical information or patient information could be um, jeopardized should the committee get a hold of this. How might that play as part of this political um, discourse moving forward in the next couple of months, especially as we move closer to the midterms?
1: That is part of a narrative that says this is all overreach, that there's really nothing To investigate here, Uh, they were not attempting to commit fraud, but attempting to right the wrong of the election. And I guess their political strategists would have to be the ones to decide how that will play with the voters in Arizona come 2022. Are voters going to be focused on the 2020 election and any potential malfeasance or fraud or that it was stolen? Or does that issue work or not? But, right, this was the last. I mean, you, you mentioned that they had gone to Speaker Bowers. This was the last in the steps to try to get the other electors appointed. They first tried to get the, the legislature to sit in special session, and right? That's what the conversation with, with Speaker Bowers was about, which, which you and uh, Ron Hansen were able to, to get him to talk about the pressure he was under to decertify the election. They, they were trying to convince the legislature, and there's some more constitutional merit to that uh, than some of these other theories, that the legislature could just overturn the will of the voters and declare, the election was fraudulent, here are the electors we want to put forward. Failing that happening, then this became a new ploy. Let's just have the electors submit themselves as a possibility and we'll see what happens.
0: As if this isn't complicated enough, there was another set of electors that Ron wrote about in um, December of 2020. This came sort of midway, maybe around the same time as this other more official uh, slate of Republican electors. How did that one come to be? And what do we know about that?
1: Yeah, Arizona has to be different. So, yes, there's seven states with alternate electors. We are the only state with two slates of alternate electors, and they don't like each other. Ron Hansen's story about the other alternate slate of electors published on AZ Central December 14th, the same day these others met. They were seeking publicity for what they had done. And they seemed to be a group of just citizens. They called themselves sovereign citizens of Arizona. And there's not as many names on there that you that even politicos might recognize. You know, if you look at the slate of, the official slate of Republican electors, you're like, oh yeah, these are some names that we know. These were just, you know, ordinary folks who decided to appoint themselves electors. And they let uh, your colleague, our colleague Ron Hanson know about it, and he wrote up a story about it. It happened to be the same day that Kelly Ward was convening the GOP electors at the Republican party headquarters. They denounced on Twitter, the other slate, and said, no, that's the unofficial alternate slate. Only pay attention to us.
0: December 14th, the true electors for the presidency met yesterday. Yes, the Republican electors. We gathered together, we took a vote for President Trump and for Mike Pence, for President and Vice President. We have transmitted those results to the proper entities in Washington, D.C. for consideration by Congress. We believe that we are the electors for the legally cast votes here in Arizona.
1: And again, I think it's good pointing out, we covered all this at some level. You know, Ron had the alternate slate of electors story, well, the unofficial one. We covered all this. The fact that the GOP electors met on December 14th was in the story about the Democratic electors. All these lawsuits were there. You know, we, we mentioned that there were lawsuits filed against the Vice President, against Governor Ducey. But there was such a fire hose of information coming at us that I think it's hard to, to, it was hard to piece together what to pay attention to. It was like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, but we can't see the box. Now we see the box. Now we see that this was part of a legal strategy to get these electors actually counted. At the time, it might have seemed folly. Okay, the the Republican electors are meeting. Maybe they just want to, you know, do this for publicity or to to soothe themselves, to feel like they're doing something. But it's really not going to have an effect, is it? Well, they wanted it to have an effect. Uh, Here's an awful metaphor. The first time you see the movie Pulp Fiction, you are really concerned with what that glowing thing in the suitcase is. And then after you watch it again, you're like, oh, that really didn't have anything to do with it. You know, you, you, you were paying attention to something, but really there was another narrative going on. We were focused, and I think rightly so, on will the Maricopa County supervisors be arrested? Are they going to crate up millions of ballots cast in the Phoenix area and ship them to the legislature, the Coliseum? We were focused on those major issues. This seemed ancillary because it was such a strange plan. It hadn't been tried before. It didn't seem realistic. And I think it's only after these memos come out and this reporting comes out that this truly was legal advice Trump was getting that we see this was a concerted effort.
0: On that note, I totally agree. The step back on all of this is just... um, really astounding. And I would encourage folks, if you hadn't had a chance to go back and listen to the Gaggles audiobook series of Democracy in Doubt, where we cover a lot of this. You separately have tried to talk to some of these electors. What do they have to say?
1: Those that will speak to me aren't saying a whole lot. Uh, I've talked to Three of them, myself and uh, a fourth, Jim Lehman, was on uh, KTVKTV's uh, Politics Unplugged show with our friend Dennis Welch. So no one is really laying out exactly how this happened. They are saying that this was just a you know, fail-safe move is, is something that Lorraine Pellegrino said. This was just a backup plan should it need to get this far. And it's a little different than what if you go back to YouTube videos at the time, uh, Kelly Ward and Anthony Kern, two of these alternate electors, at the time they signed it, were giving interviews or putting out statements that said, no, this is it. We're going to win through this strategy. We expect these votes to be counted. So I don't know whether I don't know whether Lorraine Pellegrino truly didn't know what the strategy was or whether with the passage of time. And now that it's come under increased scrutiny, she's changed her story a bit about what she thought this really was.
0: I will say Lorraine Pellegrino and Nancy Cottle are two very well-known longtime Republican activists who largely represent sort of the grassroots foot soldier realm of the party and are typically looking for direction from those above them. What should people be looking for next?
1: I think the next step will be to see if we see Nancy Cottle and Lorraine Pellegrino walking into to a hallway in Washington, DC, meeting with the January sixth committee, or if to see if there's going to be a contempt of Congress case brought against them. Or to see if any of these fourteen, and it's you know, you don't want to use a language out of a mob movie, but to see if any of these fourteen people flip and start talking about who came up with this strategy. I think that is one of the big unknowns here. We know what happened. We know what they wanted to have happen. Whose idea was it? Who gave them the language? Who told them this could work? Who told them exactly what words to have on the document that they were going to sign? Who told them what day to meet? And in some cases, where? Those are the questions that I think we need answered. And whether the answers are going to come through the January 6th committee or more reporting, uh, we'll see.
0: I've always said the superpower I would take over any is subpoena power.
1: Getting people to wish to talk to you is a, would be a beautiful thing. They, they, they seem to run away from both of us.
0: Or just avoiding us flat out, which is fine too. We'll be watching uh, your reporting, obviously, to see what happens next. Thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful reporting. Where can people follow you on Twitter?
1: I am on Twitter at RelisWritings. R-U-E-L-A-S, my last name, Writings, W-R-I-T-I-N-G-S, on the Twitter.
0: Thank you listeners for joining us. Before you go, take a moment to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter, at Yvonne Winget. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. You can also follow this show and other Arizona Republic podcasts like Valley 101 and our new biosciences show, The Lab, on Twitter at Podcasts. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, and I'll see you next week.